Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Searching for a parenting podcast you'll actually want to listen to? One that covers everything from how to deal with picky eating, how to grieve a pregnancy loss, and how to not hate your partner after having kids? Well, your new favorite podcast, After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings, is here. Hosted by two BFFs, this is a no-shame parenting podcast. Listen to and follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. I have a very high expectation of what I've always thought this franchise is, and that was the best franchise in sports. In the moments where we are down, as players, we got to execute. Every day, I'm so fortunate to be a part of this team. This is 49ers Plus Minus. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here. 49ers Plus Minus, a post-Super Bowl edition with my co-host, Pat Barros. Uh, we're a little ways away from the Super Bowl, and I don't even know how much people really wanted to hear that much chewing over that game. Uh, so we're going to kind of lightly hit the game, obviously the controversies, obviously the aftermath, but also kind of spin it forward. And what does that mean? What does this game, this season mean for the franchise? What do they do? What changes are necessary? Uh, but we'll talk in obviously a fairly large game. Barros just coming off it two days. Now you got your beauty rest. We didn't, we didn't do it yesterday. I understand we all were grinding, we were traveling, uh, so we kind of got a little deep breath here. For some reason, I woke up at 5.30 this morning and wrote a column. Uh, that's not me. That's very unlike me, but uh, what, what's your headspace? What are you thinking about a couple days after that Super Bowl? Well, first of all, I, I got 11 and a half hours of sleep last night, so um, <laughs> ask me anything. I mean, I feel like I can lift a, a dump truck straight over my head today. Um, this is after going, well, you do that uh, anyway, uh, right? That's a normal, that's a normal Tuesday. For Barrow, so. Uh, yeah, I got zero sleep after the Super Bowl. That's why I, I had to make up some lost ground. But, um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I wanted to compliment you on your game night column, Thank which you. I thought was really good, really sharp analysis, um, especially of what, you know, Kyle Shanahan was trying to say afterward. Um, and I don't want to take the words out of your mouth, but it was essentially that if you're going to put yourself in these big game uh, scenarios, um, if you're going to be competing for championships like the 49ers have been, you have to be prepared for these gut-wrenching uh, reactions, um, the mood and the atmosphere and uh, just the, uh, the, the pain. I mean, I think a lot of people – Describe that locker room afterward as uh, funeral-like, um, yeah. you know, and, and that's what it is. It, it's the death of your season. And um, I thought you did an excellent job of kind of capturing that, but more so capturing the mentality that uh, Shanahan was trying to convey to us. Well, thank you, Barrow. So I appreciate that. Nice piece of uh, on yourself on pretty well back. You know, pat ourselves on the back too. And and Barrow's story got very highly read. So that's even better. Like people were swarming to Barrow's story on the lost opportunities <laughs> of Birdie. Uh, but no, there was. I thought 
the one thing, you know, I wanted to feel like what, what's different about this one than the other losses they've gone through. And I did ask Shanahan and, and Boson, I think you check about that specifically. Like, do you, is it hard to just say, okay, we're past this after going through so many of these? And I think the difference in tone was the Shanahan, like we are in the arena. This is what happens. You put yourselves out, out there. You don't shrink from it. You play as hard as you possibly can. I don't know they felt that for sure four years ago. Uh, that kind of was a collapse. Certainly, you know, didn't have a shot to feel it last year, NFC Championship game. But you can't be afraid of this. You can't be afraid of feeling terrible or else you're never going to get there. Uh, and, you know, they're not in the luxury of having won one early in this. You know, like I think about the Warriors. Some Warriors people were checking in with me after the game, just kind of like, oh, my God, we feel so bad. And we know that the Warriors and 49ers are close. And, like, they had the, you know, they had the benefit of winning right away. The Warriors are just won. And then that was, like, they never had to worry about getting over that hump, feeling like that wouldn't happen. This team's got to go through that. And I think Shanahan was obviously feeling it. They were obviously feeling it. They may not win a Super Bowl. They're not going to say it like that but that's what they felt. And the tone was so they got to keep going. You've got to feel this. And at the end, like if you win it, it's going to be even richer. Now we'll, we'll see, but I definitely felt that from Shanahan. This is who they are. This is the game they're playing. You was saying that. Uh, and you, you hurt because you care. You're hurt because you really put so much into it. And then you deal with that and you don't in the moment, you just you can't say I don't want to get hurt. You have to say I have to put it all out there. That's what per- Shannon mentioned. I think it'll be in the message throughout the offseason. It's a tough message to kind of transfer to the next season, but you know you and I will do that here. Um, so what do they do? Like do you Barros? Do you think like okay, let's make some changes, or do you say okay, things are good and let's not let's resist some changes? Where do you think some changes might be? You know coming up for this team or do you think they should not do changes well i think they have to make changes in some places i mean like they're almost their entire defensive line um are soon to be free agents um you've got bosa signed you've got hargrave signed you've got armstead signed uh but you know this is a team that rotates that line in and out and uh it's clear uh from this last season that you have to have talent um, throughout the line. You, you have to have pretty much almost eight guys who can play. I'm not, and I'm not sure they had that this year. And I think, boy, th- this season, probably more than any other, just reinforces that as good as Nick Bosa is, and he was fantastic in the Super Bowl, yeah. you need to have somebody else opposite him. And um, uh, the, the 49ers have kind of danced around that over the years. Uh, Samson Ebucom wasn't quite it. Uh, Chase Young this year wasn't quite it. I think Cleveland Furl, who's one of these uh, soon-to-be free agents, could be part of a mix, but he's not the guy um, who needs to be there. So I I think that's a position they need to think about. The the big picture issue is that they were the oldest team in the playoffs this year. They have a lot of 30-year-olds on that team. Um, And I'm not saying that's the reason why they lost the Super Bowl. They certainly started to... Uh, kind of uh, get worn down at the end, but I think any team would have at that pace that they were playing. It, it, it was fast and furious, and, and they weren't going to go five quarters, much less four quarters at that pace. And, and Nick Bosa kind of said as much as that uh, towards the end there, you know, he was going 
uh, balls to the wall, as he put it. Um, but he couldn't do that on back-to-back plays. He just didn't have uh, what it took, and nobody did. Um, but uh, it, th- this team needs to start thinking about getting younger. They don't like to play young players, um, but at some point they need to do that. And then, of course, there's the whole salary cap issue and how do you reconcile all of these big um, salaries with a huge one coming up in Brock Purdy? That's not until next season, but it's coming. And so this team needs to prepare itself for that at some point. Um, I do think that they can get away for one more year with pretty much the same cast. But after that, I mean, they have to think about, um, you know, you don't want to go from championship, championship, like the 49ers of 10 years ago, um, and then you just hit a cliff and you're, and you're horrible again. You need to have a kind of a transition plan uh, for upcoming seasons, and I'm not sure what that plan is. I'm sure you meant championship game, right? Not they didn't win any championships either ten years ago. So no, uh, well, yeah, NFC championship, championship, yeah, NFC championship. Well, let's go. To, we can get to all that, but let's go to the big picture. I, I think the biggest question mark is Steve Wilkes. Now, not I would not have really said that, and I, I've kind of defended him, you know, with, with on some terms that it hasn't been great, but you don't want to get into scapegoating. You know, you lose the Super Bowl and you start blaming people, you start firing people. But Nick Bosa's words, I don't know if he meant them. We're pretty telling, you know, like say like, oh, yeah, when Mahomes kept it, we could have been better prepared for that. You know, the guy who's going to have the ball in his hands is going to be Mahomes, and we weren't prepared for that. It's hard to get more clear than that, right? The best player on defense saying that they weren't prepared well enough. We know it was bumpy for Wilkes. I give him a lot of credit. He walks in there. He's no assistance with him. He's got to play their scheme with their personnel. They're continuously telling him, we know we got to play more like this, not like that. But you get to the Super Bowl and you get outrushed again for 135 yards. They were there was confusion. Obviously, lost Greenlaw, so the, and, and they played great for a lot of that game. I, I think there was some question about Steve Wilkes coming back. Barrows, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so too. Even before the game, I mean, it, it was uh, one of the season-long themes, especially during that three-game losing streak. Is is what is the defense doing? And then they would find their feet. And that storyline would go away, but then it would crop up again. And it cropped up um, in the in the playoffs earlier with, uh, you know, Lynch and, Sh- and Shanahan both kind of questioning the effort in, in, in big games in January. That's uh, that's uh, that's something that a team shouldn't have to deal with at that point. Um, the read option stuff that the Chiefs were were running, A, that's something that has vexed the 49ers yeah. in the past. It's just something that their defense has a hard time handling because the they're they're not a sit in and wait defense. They they go at the snap, and so you, you see Bosa um, crashing down on the running back on all those plays. That's what they're trained to do. The problem was that they didn't they didn't have anybody accounting for the quarterback, um, and it's not a play that the Chiefs have run a lot in the past. But when they saw that there was nobody over Mahomes, it, it was a free play. I mean, Mahomes rushed for 66 yards in that game. Yeah. Uh, Christian McCaffrey rushed for 80. So Mahomes had 16 fewer yards than the 49ers leading rusher. The quarterback did. A quarterback who's really not who's known for escaping, but not really, you know, racking up huge running yards. So that was a big, big difference in this game. And and we all know the plays critical plays, fourth and one in overtime. 
um, on which the uh, the Chiefs gouged the 49ers. So uh, to, to get back to Wilkes, I'm not sure that the 49ers should have been prepared for that play per se in this game. But after they, they did it early, you had to have known that it might be coming late. There had to have been an adjustment. And I don't know what um, uh, Bosa is doing. I put this out on Twitter yesterday, but after the, the second one, the one on fourth and one in overtime, he's running after the play with his arms up asking what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether he was asking mm-hmm. for a holding call, but there's a, he's obviously asking a question. And I think his body language, language was sort of uh, uh, demonstrating what he was thinking. Like, we don't have this play accounted for at this point. This is, this is big. This is a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there was that. And then, of course, there was the, the final play where the 49ers were entirely confused, and they shouldn't have been because that's a play that the, the Chiefs ran in the Super Bowl last year against the Eagles. Um, it, it should have been something that they handled better than letting Miko Hardman go wide open for the game-winning touchdown. Yeah, I just think, you know, you don't do it just because of one game. You do it for the whole thing. And it's just one year, and, and you can say maybe he'll have better chemistry with the guys. You know, he had to come down from the booth to the field and it got better. I go back to maybe the big picture. Big pictures. These, this defense is a front seven defense, and you need a guy who connects with those guys, with Fred Warner, with Bosa, with Armstead. And I don't know that Steve Wilkes does. He's a DB's guy. And he's more of a kind of, you know, he's a thoughtful guy. He's a, a booth guy. And I think there's great booth coordinators. And there could be a great booth coordinator for the 49ers. I don't know, he's on the field now, that there is this feeling of trust and faith with him and the front seven. And this is not a secondary, this is not a back end defense. This is a front seven defense. And it just, the things you're hearing are the front seven doesn't quite feel in lockstep with him or he doesn't feel it with them. And it leads to some confusion. And there was a third and six uh, on the drive to uh, kick the field goal to tie it uh, for the chiefs. Uh, you know, they're running around. You could remember like, I don't, I didn't sit next to Barrow for this game. It feels like I, I always do, but this one, the Super Bowl were split. So I feel like I said this to you. I probably said it to Marcos or Diana was sitting next to me. Like they don't know what's happening. Like their backs were turned. Like Burks was running. And do you remember that? Like Burks is running from side to side. Like what is going on here? And they complete an open pass to Watson. I think for, you know, for 14 yards on third and six to get closer to kick that field goal. Um, that, you know, that happens to all defenses at times. It just seems to happen more under pressure with this team. And I wonder if Steve Wilkes is somebody that might say, you know, we this we tried it. Let's go back to, you know, somebody from the Seattle defense, you know, somebody more attached to the linebackers, the front four. You know, Gus Bradley would be the, the, the name I come up with, but he's, you know, the defense coordinator the Colts. I don't know if he'd be available. Uh, I also wouldn't do it. If there's no great candidate out there, I don't know if they would feel comfortable with somebody on staff. If they did, they would have probably hired him last time instead of Wilkes. I write in my column that's coming up soon. Uh, maybe they can wait until 2025 because I think the Jets head coach might be available to be come back as a defensive coordinator at that point. But it's an it's something they got to think through. And I bet you they'll be talking to the players you know, Shanahan and Lynch and, and, and ask them what they think. It'd be very interesting. You know, I, I think we're kind of hearing it, that there it wasn't quite great. Um, I know, again, I am not a scapegoat person. I think it's a sign of instability, but it might feel like it and it might be time for that. Um, I also think, I'll throw it out there, I think 
right side offensive lines, they, they need to invest in that. They haven't lately you know, since McGlinchey. They took him in the first round and rounder in 2018, then let him go. And he wasn't certainly wasn't great, but they're getting beat there. Like that Christian, I don't know who was at fault for the Chris Jones bursting through on the third and whatever it was, third and four uh, in overtime. But that's embarrassing. That's terrible. And that does seem to happen on that side. I think that's where you use your first round pick. I don't, I mean, they always use it on a defensive lineman, but, but I think they should try to move up even and try to get a stud right tackle. Just say, that's our guy. We got him. Maybe even a pass blocker more than a run blocker. So they know that side is protected. And maybe he can be the eventual heir for, for Trent Williams on the other side. Um, w- would you think that's too much of an investment in a right tackle, Barrows? How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Searching for a parenting podcast you'll actually want to listen to? One that covers everything from how to deal with picky eating, how to grieve a pregnancy loss, and how to not hate your partner after having kids? Well, your new favorite podcast, After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings, is here. Hosted by two BFFs, this is a no-shame parenting podcast. Listen to and follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's go back to Chris Jones in that play. Spencer Burford was on social media yesterday. He took responsibility for that. Um, because I think uh, uh, Colton McKivitz was getting a lot of heat for it. And so uh, a couple of offensive linemen said, you know, no, um, McKivitz did the right thing there and went wide mm-hmm. and t- picked up George Karloftis. Uh, it was Spencer Burford's responsibility then to fan out and take Jones. Burford instead took a, a blitzer who was coming late. Um, so the, the right move would have picked, uh, would have been to pick up Jones who would have gotten to, um, who did get to, uh, Brock Purdy sooner than the, than the blitzer bottom line, somebody was going to be coming open against Brock Purdy. He might have had a better chance had Burford picked up Jones. Um, and then, um, of course, uh, he wasn't able to Purdy had to rush the throw and it was incomplete. So, um, Burford kind of fell on the sword on that one, but, um, and to me, it, it just takes you back to the Super Bowl four years ago. And, um, you know, what was the storyline then? It was an inability of the right guard to handle Chris Jones. Back then it was Mike person on Sunday. It was, uh, John Feliciano starting the game and then handing things over to, uh, Burford when Feliciano hurt his elbow, so uh, here we are four years later, and we still have right guard issues. We, just, we still have trouble accounting for Chris Jones. Um, and just getting back to your, your previous comments, I mean, that was a, a beautifully conceived blitz by Steve Spagnuolo. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it put the 49ers in a bind at a key point in the game. There were a lot of those for Spagnuolo and the Chiefs. The, the, the blitzes were well-timed. And they were well designed. And to your point, there was a feel there. Steve Spagnuolo knows how to blitz. He knows when to mm-hmm. blitz. The 49ers blitzes 
didn't really hit home. Uh, and they really haven't all season long. And uh, to your point, maybe that's a front seven thing. You have to have a real understanding of blitzing linebackers in the defensive line. And that's not Steve Wilkes's forte, especially in this particular defense. Uh, so I don't know, maybe, maybe another year he starts to pick that up. Um, I think you're right that unless there's a really good uh, kind of candidate to, to jump in there, um, it's going to be hard to part ways with him. Um, internal candidates, uh, you know, Chris Kosarek hasn't wanted to be a defensive coordinator to this point. Johnny Holland has been dealing with his own personal issues. I don't know if he's at a point where he could do it. Um, Nick Sorensen is a name I've heard who, who's sort of been a, a factotum of sorts, kind of doing a lot of different things along the defense, and that might give him a good sort of global view of how the defense works. Um, he's been a, a linebacker's guy and a DB's guy. He's been a special teams guy for the Jaguars in the past, um, but he doesn't uh, – it, it's not an obvious choice for him. So I don't I don't know if that guy exists, but it'll, it'll be interesting to listen to – Lynch and Shanahan this week when they finally have their um, post-mortem on the season and uh, we get they get asked about Wilkes, um, it'll be interesting to see what they have to say. I think they might equivocate a little bit. That would be my guess, you know, to say, hey, we're, we're evaluating all things. On the offensive line, I, can, I, I hear what you're saying, and maybe I think McKivitz is a pretty good lineman, but maybe he could be the right guard. Like you draft the right tackle, or maybe they sign one. I don't think they have the money to sign up a veteran right tackle, but you get a right tackle and you kick McKivitz to right guard. That's what, what I would be thinking. Something like that. Um, just kind of make yourself better at two positions. If they can do something like that, I think the right side is becoming a problem and teams know it. And Purdy's like having, you know, that's a touchdown. Like I look, yeah, you're right. That was a touchdown. I think to Juwan Jennings, he was open and they knew it. And you know, Shanahan doesn't say that unless he knows it was going to be a touchdown. He kind of said it, um, like you score a touchdown, you make Mahomes score a touchdown, and then it's sudden death. And I know the Chiefs said it was, they were going to go for two. Well, we could get into that now. Let's go really quickly. We know the national furor over Shanahan winning the toss and taking the ball. I was not surprised by it. I mean, I understood the reasons why you would kick it because it would give you the knowledge of what the Chiefs did offensively. I mean, if they scored a touchdown, you know you would have to score a touchdown. You go for it on fourth down. All I get it. But – I don't know if, if the, the gut reaction is, do I give the ball to Patrick Mahomes against my tired defense right away, or do I take the ball and keep it away from him for as long as I can? I get that, that you that you want the ball. Shanahan didn't say it that way. He said, you know, the two for one, like if you score and they score, then you have the ball first to, in sudden death, and you would always want the ball first in sudden death in that situation. But you pretty much have to score a touchdown then, and they didn't. Um, Barros, what do you make of the debate? What do you make of – you know, the ranker, we know there was always going to be a ranker, whoever lost this game. Uh, and were you surprised that Shanahan chose to take the ball? Uh, I was, and I was trying to figure out why during the game. And I thought that the reason was that he wanted to give his clearly gassed uh, defense some, some time on the, on the field. Remember, when the, when the Chiefs kicked that field goal to tie it, um, Diamador Lenore was on the, the sideline at that point. Jair Brown was on the sideline. Uh, of course, Drake Greenlaw was there. So three starters were out at that point. Um, I felt like the 49ers needed to regroup. Now, Shanahan said that wasn't part of the uh, equation, the, the calculus at all. It was this idea that 
Um, if they scored a touchdown and the Chiefs scored a touchdown, it would give the 49ers one last uh, chance to score uh, a final touchdown to win it or a final score. Or field goal. Yeah, or field goal, the, yeah. the, the problem is that both of these teams against clearly spent defenses had their longest drives of the game. Both were seven minutes plus. So both of the drives took you know nearly every second of that overtime. Um, the 49ers, but it, it, it would have clicked, but it, but it would have clicked, it would have clicked over though, Paris. Like you would kept playing, even if the, the, the period ends, you just keep playing. They don't. End. Yeah. My point is that the, the, the Shanahan theory of, um, we, uh, we, we get one more possession in the first overtime. It was, was moot because there was no more first over, overtime left. And the fact that they but scored the, a field goal where, where they, they would have kept playing, they would have kept playing. It doesn't end. It's, it's like a quarter. I, they just keep, they just keep playing. I know. So it I know. doesn't mean that's the end. It, I, they just keep playing. So I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, you know it, it's who knows. I, I get it. I, there, there's a lot of different ways to play that. And again, I don't think it's like wrong to say that they should have uh, kicked off and not taken the ball. But I don't think it's wrong to take the ball either and think like I'm going to we're going to score a touchdown here. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to, you know, we're going to force them to have to score a touchdown. And if they go for two, we get a chance to win the game on a two point defensive play. So, um, and if it's that's the, that's the touchdown, crux touchdown. of the that that's the crux of the thing is that the the whole overtime is predicated on you scoring a touchdown. I mean, you have to score yeah. a touchdown. They scored you a do. field goal, and so that yeah. that third and four play, the Chris Jones play, is immense in that situation. The question is whether on fourth and four they should have gone for it, and uh, it didn't seem like Shanahan even entertained that as an idea. I think you asked him that question. Yep. Uh, yep. Post game, did you think about? Did you hesitate? Did you? I think, think he about thought about. I mean, did you see, Moody was like hesitating coming on the field. Like Moody didn't run right on the field. Like it took them a little while. I don't know whether it means Shanahan didn't communicate it. He had already decided. I don't know, but like I would have thought about going for it. And I might have. And you know what? And what you do is you think about going for it on third down. So you run the ball on third to give yourself fourth and short. Instead of throwing and against and Shannon can say, listen, that was a touchdown. That would have been a touchdown. Why the hell would I run it there? I could have thrown it. But then you go, okay, you get two plays. Okay, on fourth and four, just knowing that Mahomes is there. And given like they had fourth, they had to convert a fourth and one and a third and six. So it's not like Mahomes went straight down the field, but it's still Mahomes. It, it felt inevitable that he was going to find a way in the end zone. Even the foreigners made it a little tricky. I sure would have thought about fourth and four. I would have been thinking about it on third and four and had two plays ready to go. And Shannon didn't play it the way I get fourth and four is tough. What it's usually what about 30%, 35% make rate. I get it. Um, but I sure would have thought about it. And you know, maybe it's because Purdy got hit on that play, right? By Jones. So your quarterback's on a hundred percent, you're putting the game, you know, then all they got to do is get three first downs and have Butker kick a 45 yarder. I, I all those things I get. I think that actually was the more debatable call to me because you have much more game in you know you have the flow of the game at that point to start the overtime. Anything could happen. Right? There's all these variables. At that point, you had the ball on the nine yard line and you could have said, oh, "We're just going to score a freaking touchdown. We're going to believe in ourselves to score a touchdown." Um, but they they didn't. People can debate it. They can be angry, and I think everybody wants to fire everybody. Barrows, you want to fire me or uh, am, am no, I no, no, no. Uh, I I like you in your current position. Yeah, I mean, I, the, <laughs> look at the play before. 
um, even the the Chris Jones play, it was uh, Christian McCaffrey for no gain. So you've got a no gain. You've got uh, an unblocked rusher. There wasn't a lot of confidence at that point yep. that the 49ers could could do something. So um, they went with the uh, the gimme field goal at that at that spot. Um, we haven't talked about Brock Purdy. Uh, any thoughts about mm-hmm. him? I thought that the contrast between Purdy in this Super Bowl and Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl four years ago is a pretty good one. Um, uh, Purdy facing a much better Chiefs defense this go around than than Garoppolo was facing four years ago. Um, you know, Garoppolo was a a huge storyline coming out of that game. Could he have done more? Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan was asked, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about Jimmy Garoppolo? That was the first question he was asked at his post mortem last year. Um, how do you think Garoppolo did? Garoppolo was getting a lot of heat four years ago at this time. Mm-hmm. Purdy yeah. getting some heat because everyone is, but not as much as Garoppolo. Um, you know, Garoppolo, the missed throw to Emmanuel Sanders was the big play of the game. Purdy, the, this missed throw to Juwan Jennings, but no one thinks that it's Purdy's fault. It's a, uh, it's a, a line uh, issue on that play. So um, I think the 49ers come away very confident in Brock Purdy, whereas they probably weren't nearly as confident in Jimmy Garoppolo four years ago. In fact, they started to talk to Tom Brady right after that game. Well, they turned down Tom Brady. That's what, that's what I think. I think that, I mean, and they, but I think there was Aaron Rodgers in there. Like, yeah, that's when the Garoppolo conversations begin. Um also, it was before that because they ran the ball 45 times in the NFC Championship game, clearly not feeling great about Garoppolo. No, I think they got to feel good about Purdy. Uh, he's won four playoff games as a, at 24 years old, and some of them when he had to rally them, and he played fine on in the Super Bowl. He averaged more yards per attempt than Mahomes did, by the way, Barrow, 6.8 to 6.6. Um, made some really good throws. That fourth down throw, I know it's fourth and three. It's just a sideline pass to, to Kittle. But, man, that's a pressure throw. Like, that yeah. had to be on the money because Kittle's got to turn and get a couple more yards. you got to get it to him in stride. Uh, and some other really important throws. No interceptions. I don't know that he had, a, you know, maybe a couple where they, it was a little offline, but that's with some pressure. I think they got to feel really good about Purdy being 24 years old. Uh, probably only gonna get better. Got through a major injury, right? This is he's coming off a major injury. I think this is the most settled the Shanahan team has been at quarterback going into an offseason since Jimmy Garoppolo. After you know he's arrives in seventeen, goes five and zero as a starter, and then they got to pay. Then they got to pay him, right? They got to pay him twenty five million dollars a year, or whatever the hell that was. Then um, they don't have to do that with Purdy. They, then it's like he's nine, like nine hundred thousand dollars next season. He still fits them in so many different ways. He fits them in the personality. He fits what Shanahan wants to do. I do think, again, another thing I wrote, that it is still about McCaffrey and Debo. Like, that's the team right now. That's the offense. Um, McCaffrey had a, you know 160 yards from scrimmage and touchdown reception. Debo was stopped. Spagnuolo looked like Spagnuolo said, I'm putting McDuffie on Debo. You're not beating us with that guy. And that's smart. Again, the Spagnuolo is so smart. And four Niners did look different with you know they always do when Debo's not going. He's such the heart of that offense. And I said you could take that two ways. You could take it one way, like he's so important, you got to keep him forever. Like he's just the that's it. You don't have Debo in the offense is different. Or two, he can be stopped. 
So, you know, do you have to keep paying him $25 million a year? I don't know. I mean, I think he'll be on the team next season. Beyond that, I don't know when, you know, when you would have to pay IU big money, uh, when that would have to start coming. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think on that? I mean, we know McCaffrey is going to be on this team for many more years. He signed for many more years and restructured his deal. In fact, what about Debo? What about like, can they keep those two for sure for the long term? Are you talking Debo and Ayuk or Debo? No, Debo and, and McCaffrey. I think my I think Ayuk is they're going to try to sign him for at the very top, you know, not the super top of the market, but at near the top of the market. It's up to him to whether he's going to take it or not. I think they will offer it to him. I'm saying McCaffrey and Debo, those two guys. It's a luxury to have them both, right? Who has two of those guys? Foreigners have, you know, many most teams don't don't have any of them, and the Fortnite have two of them that run pass, big play, run tough, the combination. I don't know that they get, you know, how long they're destined to keep both of them. And what do you think the Super Bowl tells us about that? Yeah. Um, it, Debo's numbers jump out at you because they're modest and they tried to get the ball to him. Uh, 11 targets. That's a huge number. And he caught three of them. Um, and it, it's not his fault. Um, you know, uh, on a lot of those were the plays that uh, Purdy's getting disrupted. The, the, uh, pocket is just collapsing all around him doesn't get doesn't get good throws off um and and then the other part is that Debo has this hamstring injury and I don't know how much it it hampered him um certainly the the routes didn't look all that sharp uh McDuffie is is running the route for him on a lot yep. of, of plays the Chiefs are playing a lot of man-to-man coverage um and that's the reason why that plus the pass rush is the reason why Ayuk's and uh, Debo's numbers are so average. I, I, I tallied it up. In games that they both started, um, this was their third lowest combined um, receiving yardage. I think it was around 80 yards, uh, both of them together. Um, usually one or, or both of them goes off. And in this one, they were both modest. And so, um, you know, George Kittle wasn't available either. And that's why Juwan Jennings, if the 49ers had won, Juwan Jennings, Good, good chance that he was the uh, Super Bowl MVP in that game. Um, I watched, I had watched the Super Bowl from four years ago uh, prior to Sunday's game. And, and Debo had a sensational game in the Super Bowl. Yep. Really looked good. Running the ball, catching the ball. Um, I don't know if that influenced the uh, the Chiefs at all, but he looked like a, a slimmer guy back then. He's He's heavier now for sure. He got this hamstring injury at a at a bad time. Uh, that that's been an ongoing um, issue for the 49ers. Debo Samuel puts on weight very easily, and they want him at a certain weight, and he he gets to that weight for a little while, and then he surpasses it uh, after that. I don't know what he was for the Super Bowl, but um, he certainly did not have a spring in his step in that game. Um, and, um, you're right. I mean, the, he was able to be controlled, whereas, uh, Christian McCaffrey wasn't. What do you think this means for Jawan Jennings free agency? Can they go? Oh yeah. We'll pay you like a start. I, I don't think they can. So is, is he destined to sign elsewhere? I mean, it depends on what the rest of the league thinks about him. I mean, if the 49ers put a, a second round tender on him, will another team jump in and say, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll take, we'll, we'll give you a second rounder for him. I don't think it'll be that high. Um, his original round tender is, is a seventh. Um, I think a, a team definitely would, would jump at that 
scenario, but it's, it's a great question. Um, uh, John Jennings had 19 catches in the regular season. He had 10 in the postseason. So I think a lot of these teams were, you know, doing what the chiefs did, which is, okay, we're going to take away Ayuk and I mean, be- better defenses. The, they can take away Ayuk and Debo. And so, uh, Juwan was, uh, was targeted a lot more in the postseason than he was in the regular season. And he came through and he always comes through. Uh, so, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see what the tender amount is. And then of course, whether another team targets him, he, he's a proven commodity. He's, uh, been really good. So in the number to three me, role. If they... Go ahead. If they put a second round tender on them, what's the minimum they can pay him? Is there is there a salary that's associated with that? Yeah, I don't know what that figure is, but it's 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 a pretty good number. Um, and so that's the question: Can you have him plus Debo plus Ayuk? Ayuk's going to be making the the fifth year option at minimum um, next year, and that's a big number as well. So uh, that's a lot of money spent on three wide receivers when you also have a tight end. And you also have a running back. Oh, and you also have a fullback. Um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know if uh, check is coming back. That's that's going to be another question uh, this offseason. Well, that's one reason to get an IU deal done, right? Because that knocks down. You pay him a big money, but that knocks down his cap hit for the first two years. So then instead you take off that five-year, you know, fifth-year number, which I'm sure is quite high. And you you know you cut it down like three million. Of what they do this low base. You you just average out the 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 guarantee throughout. So yeah, it drops it way down. Um, like all these things are in play. And like if he does not do that, and they have to play him on the fifth year, which he might. I don't think he's even going to come into camp. If uh, obviously, he, but if that's the way it works, uh, it's tougher. You know that, that's why you you do these long term deals. That's why they praise ownership. These players do because they're willing to put up the upfront money in order to try to keep the cap hits early on as low as they can. But they've got some extending salaries too, right? They got some numbers like these big extensions that were low in the first two years. Fred Warner, right? His number skyrockets this year. I think Kittle's number goes way up. Trent Williams' number is always going to be high. Like they do have some cap issues. Um, You know, it's helped that the quarterback is only making 900,000, but there's still going to be problems at other places. Do you foresee a possible cap casualty, like a big name? I don't know. They've restructured all these guys, so I don't know that they really can. Uh, is there a potential casualty out there that might surprise some people, you think? Yeah, four years ago after the Super Bowl, that was when they had to make that they, – they say they had to make that big decision between Armstead and, and Buckner. Both of those guys were kind of coming up for new deals. They chose Armstead, uh, traded Buckner, um, drafted – uh, Javon Kinlaw, you know, I, I think it's clear that they made the wrong choices there. Um, you know, Armstead, it, it, Armstead played great uh, on Sunday, but Armstead has been missing for big chunks of the last two seasons. I mean, DeForest Buckner's um, greatest uh, asset is that he is an Iron Man. He is always out there, um, and um, he had a good season as well. Uh, so uh, I don't I don't know. It's it's not obvious. I, I, I do think that they can reconcile all of these guys for one more season. Um, it's it's beyond that where I think that they have to start making some decisions. And so you, you, you don't want to get into a scenario where this team goes from all star cast to a bunch of nobodies, which is which is what they've done at various points in their past. Um 
And um, so I, I don't know whether that transition period starts this offseason. Yeah, and you know, they had a huge quarterback number back then. So, you know, I do think that gives them a little bit of a bailout. But yeah, they've got some, you know, they didn't also have a $34 million pass rusher back then either. So uh, that's when Bosa was on the rookie deal and not making the number one defensive contract in, in the NFL. Um, they can do it. You know, it's just going to take a, a whole lot of uh, Parag Marate and figuring out and and commitment from Jed York. Yeah, I do think they'll likely kick, they'll keep most of the people, most of the players that you know. I can't. I just don't know who it would be since they've restructured everybody. And you do the more you restructure, the less ability you have of making them, uh, you know, of cutting the player because that just accelerates all the money into right now. It makes you worse cap wise, frankly, to cut them than it would be to keep them. Uh, anything else you got, Jake Moody? Thoughts? Uh, good. Like as always, it's good and bad. Uh, friggin' fifty-five year off yard field goal, which was the Super Bowl record for like uh, twenty-two minutes, uh, right until Butker kicked the longer one. But he looked great kicking those field goals. But the PAT looked terrible. Uh, you know, we can talk about bad blocking, but that thing was way too low for a PAT. Um, I think it was more good than bad. I mean, if, if that's the way you want to look at it, I mean, Jake Moody is um, okay. We're, we're, what's the deal with him? Yeah. I, I think that uh, overall you have to be really encouraged by him. I mean, th this is uh, the highest pressure game that you could ever imagine. And he um, not only plays well, he nails two 55 or 50 yard plus field goals in that game. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you knew you were going to have some rocky moments as a rookie and in the biggest game, he mostly came through. I mean, the PAT was obviously big in a game that's tied at the end of regulation, but e even if he makes it, I, I still feel like the chiefs are going to be doing some things at the end, making different decisions. Um, you know, the, the end of the game could be different, but it doesn't necessarily mean the, the 49ers would have won that game if he makes that PAT. That was in the third quarter. Uh, there was still a lot of game to play. Um, yeah, I think the fact that he he booms two 50-plus yarders is is the big takeaway there. Um, and then booms all of the kickoffs, you know, not only into yeah. the end zone, yeah. but some of them out of the end of the end zone. Uh, so I, I think that's got to be the uh, uh, MO from here on out. Just let him kick it out of the end zone. Don't worry about the returns and uh, go from there. Yeah, I mean, he was kicking the ball great. Like there's, there's no question. The ball is coming off his foot tremendously, and, and the fact that Shannon even trusted him to kick the 55 yard to try it uh, was some amount of faith in him. Because sometimes you think I, I just punt it from the 38, you know. But also, it's Mahomes, so you don't punting to him, punting into the 10 isn't the same as punting to somebody else to the 10. Then you can just rock it right back up the field. Uh, yeah. Okay. Where where do they? Where, what's the mindset in the in the franchise then? Barrels like just overall. Like, do they take two weeks and then they're just back same as normal, or is this going to be a little bit different feel to this offseason? Well, we're going to find out soon. I just learned that uh, Kyle and John are talking today. I don't know if that influences your oh, really? uh, your your schedule oh, no, today. No. <laughs> but I think that that also speaks to, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan wanting to get to Mexico as quickly as possible and just uh, mm. do his, uh, um, you know, come back to life uh, issue. I was talking to uh, Nikki Javala, who was the um, 
the pool reporter. She's the one who covered all the, the 49ers practices last week. And, and she was shocked uh, about how thin, how gaunt Kyle Shanahan looked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess we see him every, just about every day. So we saw his usual kind of weight loss as the season goes on in real time. So it doesn't really kind of strike us as much, but this is what happens to Kyle Shanahan at the end of seasons. I remember John Lynch talking about it. It's, uh, it's physically taxing on him. Uh, so he takes as much time as he can with his family in Mexico and he sort of, uh, uh, re, uh, retools himself at the end of the season. So I, th- I think that's going to happen very shortly coming up here. Barrow's breaking news about my potential schedule here. What time? I just, what time is it? That you I don't know. All I know is it. that it looks oh. like it's happening today. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely locker clean out, uh, day today. So I think the 49ers just want to, uh, get it all done in one fell swoop and not have to worry about anything else the rest of the week. I don't think I'm going. I'll announce this on the podcast. I, I got other stuff I got to do, but geez, you, you are hearing me deal with this live on on tape. Uh, uh, seeing what, how my schedule is going to get screwed up here. Uh, good to do that, Barrow. So I appreciate you doing that to me. I appreciate the 49ers doing that to me. I'm like having to think through a bunch of five different things in my head here. All good. Uh, Barrow, you got anything else? That's it for me. Yeah, we, we could talk about uh... – uh, the post uh, Shanahan yep. Lynch uh, uh, session later in the week, they might have some yep. some pretty big items. It could could be nothing, and they, they could have uh, some bombshells to drop on us. Yeah, that's like I'm, I sort of want to be there. We'll see. Well, maybe my po- column post, and they want to refute my Wilkes question mark. So right off the bat, so make that column. Read that column now while, while it's worthy, while it's up there. <laughs> uh, it, because it might be refuted almost immediately. All right, Barrows, on that on that uh, note, we shall end this post-Super Bowl, two days after the Super Bowl uh, podcast of 49ers Plus Minus. That's it for today, everybody. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places. 
searching for a parenting podcast you'll actually want to listen to, one that covers everything from how to deal with picky eating, how to grieve a pregnancy loss, and how to not hate your partner after having kids, well, your new favorite podcast, After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings, is here. Hosted by two BFFs, this is a no-shame parenting podcast. Listen to and follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.